Amen. Well, my name's Ben, one of the pastors here, and so glad you're with us this morning as we continue working through topics surrounding what we're all going through, our collective experience in this wild time. We're focusing in last week, this week, and hopefully the next couple on Romans chapter 12. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Romans chapter 12. Uh, if you don't, please don't panic. We'll have those words for you on the screen. But part of what we're doing with Romans chapter 12, like I said, is just continuing to try to medicate, lead well through, tap into the resources of the scriptures in order to grasp some of what God has for us in this time. He expected this kind of thing to happen. Jesus promised his, his followers that in this world you would have trouble. And that's specific to Christians, but it's a fallen world. There's stuff going on all the time. Of course, this was coming in the Bible. As you start to look for resources for dealing with suffering, you find it's just full. One of the things that I want to think about this morning is how you're doing um, mentally. Or how is this suffering pushing on different parts of you that maybe are, are not as solid as you thought they were? When suffering comes, cracks start to form. Uh, I think when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you hear Jesus talking about these two guys that built houses. One builds it on the stone. The other one builds it on the sand. And you think, which one of those would you rather have? Well, if there's no storm on, it's kind of a toss up. And maybe sand, oceanfront property, maybe, I don't know, you would go for the sand house. And yet when the storm comes, then the cracks start to form on the house that doesn't have good foundations. Now that we're in a storm and now that we're in suffering, are there cracks starting to form? Are there cracks starting to form for you mentally? Is there a stress level that you don't have a release or distraction for anymore? Is there an anger level that you don't have a release or distraction for anymore? Are there weird thoughts or dark thoughts? All these reports about people having these very strange dreams and these anxiety-producing, constant, night-shaking dreams. How are you doing? I want to try and medicate today based on the scriptures that we have. And if you look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about it. It'll help us to fortify, to defend our minds. Romans chapter 12, let's go ahead and read verse 1. That's what we talked about last week, and then we'll read verse 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, I hope that you heard what he's saying there. He's talking about a perspective change, a renewal that takes place in your mind. When I was growing up, the pastor that I sat under, he talked about these verses a lot. And he would often talk about the perspective that you have sort of like glasses. You can see better when you're wearing glasses, but only if the glass is correct. If not, you can see a lot worse because whatever you see, you're seeing through those lenses. And that was him talking um, a long time ago. Now we have all kinds of different illustrations that maybe push us even further. That was before The Matrix came out. I don't know if you saw that movie. 
But there's all kinds of perception stuff that goes on in the sci-fi world that's gotten into popular culture. You may have seen Inception. The same kind of idea, like what are you dealing with? And if we can change your mental landscape, well, we can change anything about you. You watch on, on the Internet. I don't know if you watch this. I watch on the Internet people with, um, they have their friends try like virtual reality for the first time or like elderly people trying virtual reality for the first time, and they put on the goggles and they put on the headphones and they change their perception, and all of a sudden you watch those people scream and there's nothing going on, or trying to bat away like bugs or birds are coming at them, or they're like on a roller coaster and they're freaking out and falling down and running into walls because their perception has changed. The Bible is on to something here when it's talking about how you can be transformed by having your mind renewed, having the right information put in there and having the discernment built in order to pull apart what's coming at you and say, OK, I know this seems true, but is it? And based on what I know to be true, should I react in this way? If we can change a perception, we can change everything. The question is, what's true? My hope is that we'll go through this and start to see some of the commands in these verses in order to really begin to defend ourselves and solidify our foundations. David said that so well. You're going to come out of this. You're going to be more patient. Or you're going to be less. Your foundation is going to be more. The foundation steady, but you're going to be built down into it more or less. So let's get into it. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're going to kind of sit on that first couple of phrases there, and then we'll talk about the end at the end. But first, don't be conformed to the world. What does he mean by conformed? We used to watch on a loop how it's made. I don't know why, but it would just be the show that would be on in the background because it was mesmerizing. There was very little information. There's very little even like talking. It would just be industrial processes shown one right after another. And they would start by saying, how do you make a push broom? And you're like, who cares? How do you make a push broom? And then you would watch and you would watch as they somehow figure out how to push the bristles through the base and then screw that onto the thing. And then all of a sudden, ba ba ba, they have this amazing push broom. You watch these industrial processes, often they have these stamping processes. Something that's a little bit more raw goes into and then gets stamped, boom, and comes out a finished product. And you think about the force and the definitiveness of those stamps. And you don't go out of those stamps. You come in raw, but you don't go out of those stamps raw. You come out looking like what just conformed you. Listen, there is way more at stake than you realize by just being involved in our culture. There are forces that maybe you don't see. I'm not talking about demonic forces. I'm just talking about being a human who's part of a society. There are forces on you that you may not notice, but they are pervasive and they're powerful. See, often I don't really need to get you to do what I want you to do. All I have to do is get you to want what I want you to want. See, if I put my battle line, if I put the front on your desires rather than your actions, I win. If I can lead you around by your desires, then you'll end up doing what I want you to do. That's the whole theory behind marketing. And can I tell you, it works. 
Now, I don't know that there are many places, and please forgive me if you're a Taco Bell owner or employee. I don't know that there's many places that I trust less to have really increased their cleanliness in all this. But they had a commercial recently about Taco Bell food. And I was full. I had already eaten. I was sitting on the, bed, uh, the couch with my wife. We're watching a show. And this ad comes up. And gosh, if I didn't want to go right then and get a bunch of tacos. It looked so good. And they didn't tell me to go get tacos. They were telling me about how much they care about me in this COVID crisis. And, you know, I really feel the love from Taco Bell. But what they showed me was something for me to desire. And they had me. Now, by Rachel's uh, admonition, I didn't get up in that moment and go try and find an open Taco Bell. But do you see? If I can get you by the desires, then I've got you totally. And that's the front our society kind of works on. The Bible has known that from the beginning. See, in the beginning of the psalm, so if you open up the psalms, the psalter begins with Psalm 1, and it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The very first verses of one of the most important books in the Bible, not because it's more important or less important than others, but they would have sung these psalms. The people of Israel would have memorized these psalms. They would have been down in their hearts. And the very first words of the very first psalm talk about thinking about who influences you and what your desires are. Do you desire to sit in the seat of scoffers or is your delight, your desire, God's ways? Think about being a teenager. That moment where you go from being a kid to being a teenager and having primary influencers be mom and dad to primary influencers being your kind of friend group. I remember, and I'm a tall guy, but I was really nervous my whole high school life that my jeans were going to be too short. Because I didn't know of a greater social sin than having high waters. That's what they called them. If they were just a little too high and you could see a little sock, which now apparently has come around because you have like your funky socks you wear under your cool pants. And so you wear them high so everybody can see your cool socks. But when I was in high school, that was social suicide. And I can't tell you the social anxiety I had about making sure that my pants went low enough. And I was not sagging. I wasn't a sagging kind of a guy. But I did whatever I had to do to make sure that my incredibly long legs were covered. Why? It wasn't a rule. I wasn't going to get punished. But there's a group think that conformed me. There's a social pressure that conformed me that said, don't be different and do be cool. And please define the word cool for me. Do you see? You are daily being conformed to a standard, often by your desires. What you're delighting in. Can I tell you how often I feel like we've lost the battle with a person when you can tell that they're bored by the things of God? It's not an information gap. It's not that they do know or don't know a specific thing I'm trying to tell them. It's just you can tell that they're kind of over it. What that means is not that God's truth is not compelling. What it means is that their desires have been conformed in a different way. And what is this thing that's conforming their desires? It says, don't be conformed 
to this world. Now, if you read through the Bible, especially the New Testament, that concept of world comes up a lot. A lot of times we ask people when they're exploring the Bible for the first time to read the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, that word world or that concept of the world comes up constantly in Jesus's teaching. What does he mean by it? Well, it's a little bit difficult for me to define for you because it's really a negation. It's like a shadow. What is a shadow? It's the absence of light. What is the world? It's kind of like all human endeavor outside of God's kingdom, outside of God's will. And you can think of that in a lot of different ways as sort of a hydra, because it's not really just the most wicked thing you can think of. It's actually anything that you do that's not for the glory of God. Now, can you see how our command not to be conformed to this world really is much more tricky than us just saying, well, don't play dice, don't dance and don't go to the movies. Then you'll be okay. Really? I think, according to this, that the world is everywhere. Not conforming to the world isn't simply an isolationist move. There's certainly things I'm going to keep myself from, but that's not really what we're talking about. In fact, we need a a much higher level of discernment, which is what this verse promises us, to say instead, I'm going to find what is good in the world, what God has given me to enjoy. Paul, the same guy who wrote Romans in these verses, also wrote Philippians. And he says in Philippians 4, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these. Do you see how that could be anything? A degree of God's creative glory, of his beauty, of his design, of his desires for us. A degree could be almost anywhere. And that seeing the good in that thing and trying to bring that good into the fore. Do you see how that could be part of what we are commanded to do as followers? I don't know what comes into your mind when I say the word culture wars, but Christians have been accused of all kinds of things with the way we interact with the world. Can I tell you that this is the secret of it? From the beginning, we were called to be gardeners. You are called to be a gardener. You're called to look at a place and see its potential. You're called to see a group or an activity or an idea or a movement and look into it and say, okay, what is the potential in this? What is commendable? What is lovely? What is worthy of praise? How do I find that and how do I blow that into flame? Some things you can't do that with. We would not call on anybody to get into the assassin's world and try to figure out what's commendable about killing people for money. No, there's some stuff you got to like just work against. But do you understand how every other occupation, because I'm struggling to think of too many others that fit into that world, but do you understand how almost every other occupation needs Christians to jump into it and to engage it at that level? 
to resist being conformed to the world, the desires incumbent in that idea, whatever that field is, and instead to look into it with a brain that's been transformed, that has a discernment level because they've renewed their mind and is able to look for things that are lovely and pure and true and just and commendable and bring those things out. Yes, we want everybody to know about Jesus. That's the thing we're doing. But part of how you're going to do that on a daily basis as a teacher, as a mom, as a programmer, as a nurse, as a whatever, is to not be conformed to the aspects of what you're doing that are drawing you away from God and his kingdom. And again, how do you define a shadow? It's probably going to be better for us to focus on the positive or what God has given us, what he has taught us. If we are not actively focused on those things, then the world, which in some ways I've painted as sort of a neutral thing, is actually going to draw you away. Because if I painted it as a neutral thing, that's on me. We should correct that. The scripture doesn't talk about the world as a blank slate waiting on Christians to paint upon it. Galatians 4.9, Paul says... But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Listen, when I say that the opposite of God's kingdom is out there, I mean the opposite. What's going to pull you away from God? And some of this stuff looks really commendable on the outside because you're doing big things or good things or even important things. But if you're doing them for your own glory, if you're doing them for your own ego without reference to or submission to God, what's the point of that? And in fact, what you're doing is you're drinking a really deceptive and powerful poison. Something that will, according to Scripture, enslave you. Because it's going to take its hook and it's going to put it in your nose and it's going to lead you around by your desires, by your loves. And again, if I can get you by the desire, I've got you. See, Christians maybe can get um, some flack for attempting to have people think about things the way we think about things. Can I tell you, everybody's doing that. At least we're honest about it. Of course we want you to think about things the way we think about things. That's why we're saying, don't be conformed to this world, but instead we're going to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. What do we mean by that? Well, one thing that we need to do, working to turn the world right side up, is to understand that it is upside down. That's what we're talking about by not being conformed to the world. One interesting passage in the um, book of Acts is the church is exploding out from Jerusalem. The, the people in all these different cities that are experiencing Christianity for the first time and seeing these Christians start to really multiply in number, start to argue against it because they see that the worship practices of the Christians are not like the worship practices of these cities. And one riot breaks out in Acts chapter 17, and they argue against the Christians and say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. 
Can I tell you that that's a really perceptive diagnosis of what Christians are doing? Except we haven't come to turn the world upside down. We've come to turn the world right side up. How do we do that? Well, we need to have our minds renewed. And we talk about renewal of our minds. Are we talking about a switch? Something that happens is just an off into on? Maybe if maybe we could talk about it as a dimmer switch. I don't know how often people have those in their homes anymore, but that used to be a thing where you have this little knob and you could dim the lights in the room and kind of get the right sort of level. When we're talking about renewing your mind, we're talking about a process that takes place that increases the light that's in there. What do we mean? Well, let's read it again. Romans 12, 1, uh, Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, good, acceptable, and perfect. This means that by faith, you open your brain up to all the things God's taught you and start putting them into your world. Now, here's kind of a link that I want us to think about. What do we mean by by faith? That word faith gets thrown around a lot and it usually means something negative. It's either a byword for Christianity or religion, or it means that he didn't really know. He just sort of did it by faith. But what do we mean by faith? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition of the word. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The conviction or assurance of a conclusion. It's the assurance and the conviction of something that you think is true, even if you're not all the way sure. Now, we think about that when it comes to Christianity, but you're all also doing this all the time in other places. Things that are said by faith include he's the murderer or she loves me and God is real. Do you see? We aligned up all the evidence. We spent time on it. We thought about it very carefully and we came to the conclusion that while we cannot know for absolute certain, this is the guilty party. This is the man. Or, she really does love me. Or, God is real. The things that he's taught, the things that he's shown, the things that I've started to learn about him are, in fact, reliable. It takes time for these things to start to settle in and for your world to start to change by it. The implications to start to kind of filter through and take their place in all the different parts of your mind and in your practices. But as you do those things, you'll start to see a consistency and a growth. The dimmer switch starts to make things lighter and lighter and lighter. That's why Paul is telling us to renew our mind. It's a thing that we're doing all the time, constantly going through and remembering what is true and applying it to these different situations. Understanding, and this is what it is to be a Christian and a maturing Christian, understanding how, how are we going to understand God's kingdom and apply it in our lives and in this world? We renew our minds what does that look like? I think often we have these fights in ourselves. I'm talking about myself as a Christian and, and, and conversations I've had with other believers. But you say to yourself, OK, I believe these things and yet I don't actually do them. I don't actually think them. Why? There's this disconnect. 
there's this objection that comes and sort of cuts the cord. There's several that come up. Some of my big ones are, all right, well, if he's really the master of everything and I'm not, if he's really God and I'm not, where do I get my self-worth from? If I'm doing this for his glory and it's all about him and I'm working really, really hard for him and his name, what about my name? What about my self-confidence? What about my joy in my work? See, my desires have been conformed to our community's norms when it comes to you get your self-worth or your identity from what you do. That you're able to walk into a group of other men and say, well, I don't know what you guys are up to, but this is what I do because this is who I am. And if I turn that over and say, no, 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 he is and I'm his servant. Where do I get myself worth from? On a daily basis, I'm constantly nervous about my pleasure. If I follow through and do the obedience that I have laid out for me today to lead my wife and my family well, to do the things God's called me to do at Hope Church, to just do the normal workaday stuff of being a Christian. Well, then where does my pleasure come from? Because I look at these commercials or I look at my friends that are outside the church and I see all the things that they enjoy. And gosh, I want them. Is, is that going to be okay? Does being a Christian mean that I settle for less? That I give up the pleasures? Well, no, of course not. Again, Psalms... Uh, starts to inform my heart. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God commanding, Him promising that at His hand, by His side, is joy and pleasure forevermore. Now, if that's a promise that I can actually believe, it should change all of my obedience to gleeful obedience. Rather than the kind of obedience that always looking over my back and looking back and saying, okay, well, what, what if I hadn't done this? What if I had stayed there? What if I could have done like they do? And converts it instead into an obedience that is running towards joy and pleasure. And how does that come about? It comes about through faith. An assurance, a conviction of something that I can't see, but I'm trusting based on evidence. And I start to gain some momentum because it's something that's true. And so as I go after it, I start to experience it. God's love, his promise of joy and pleasure, his promise of peace that comes. That's what he's saying. He's saying as you gain this mind, as you renew your mind and you start to understand the will of God, what is good, acceptable and perfect, you are gaining what is. Did you hear it? Good, acceptable and perfect. Not just right, wrong, good, but actually good. Tastes good, feels good, is good. That that's what's promised for you. That's what you're going for. That's what this transition and this trade-off actually accomplishes for you. We talk about cracking up. What if you had the integrity, not of moral intense fiber, but just of consistent work-a-day obedience that said, I trust God. I trust God with my pleasure. 
And because I trust God with my pleasure, I'm not really that nervous about a, a virus. Because he's bigger than the virus. Yeah, I trust God. I trust God with my self-worth. So, you know, jobs come, jobs go. The company I'm in gains in its influence and power and stability or loses its influence, power, and stability, and eh, I'm good. <laughs> Why? Because my self-worth is built on something else. I'm not going to crack. Do you see? All right. Well, if I've given you some reason to desire this process, let me give you some instruction on how to maybe go about this process. Because how does one set their mind on the things of the Spirit? Well, there's a couple of different things I want you to do or ways I want you to think about disciplines that we are always giving you or, or pushing on you, inviting you to, enticing you to. That would be studying his word, prayer, being with his people, pursuing obedience, those things that we're always throwing out there. Here's what I'm hoping you're going to do with those. And I made them all start with an S, so maybe they'll be memorable for like 45 seconds. One is to soak, to soak. Two is to socialize. And three is to see. I want you to soak in God's truth. What do we mean by that? Well, you go for a soak. It's like going into a hot tub and just, you know, cooking for a little bit. You get in there, it's hot. Maybe they got some bubbles. And what do you do? You just sort of in your own stuff there for a little bit. This is what I want you to do with God's truth and his promises. When you renew your mind, what you're doing is you're just going to take something. It can be a small piece of scripture or a great piece of scripture. It can be one idea in scripture. It can be a big overarching promise that runs through the whole thing, Genesis to Revelation. But take that thing and just soak in it. Take your brain and your heart and put them in the hot tub of that verse and just let it bubble. What does this verse mean? If I really believe this was as true as I believe that the sky is blue, what would I do differently tomorrow? How much does God love me if this is true? And this is why the Psalms are going to be so instructive for you. And I hope that you'll go and you'll find the Psalms, because when you read the Psalms, they usually don't give you commands. Even the Psalm that I referenced today. Psalm 1 doesn't tell you not to be stupid and go hang out with the sinners or to be wise and delight in the Lord. What does it say? It just says blessed. And then it gives you very specific pictures to think about. If you go on in Psalm 1, it talks about how this righteous man that delights in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water. Do you ever go hiking and get down into a place where there's the water coming down with a snow melt and you see those old trees, those strong trees? Those trees that are strong because their source of sustenance is constant. You have this picture and you start to soak in it and it starts to resonate with you. Please do that. Don't just read scripture, but read it and then soak in it. That's kind of the point of the God time stuff. If it's helpful for you, please do it. If you're past it, great. But if it's helpful, I'm writing it and it's helpful for me even writing it. Take time to just soak on just a little bit of scripture. Soak in it. Socialize in it. You need other people to help you work out the implications of the scriptures. I am the product of hundreds and thousands of people still living 
and millions and millions of people long dead in my understanding of and application of the scriptures. The way I live out the scriptures is a product of the church. Not that the church took the scriptures and invented something new or used them and started improving off of them, but the church took the scriptures and just started learning what they mean and actually started trying to put them into practice in American, modern American culture. So, socialize. Okay, we can't do that now. Yes, you can. You totally can. You can call people constantly. You can Zoom weekly with our community groups, and you're here now. You can be ready, too, for when we're allowed to get back together. So socialize in these things. And then lastly, see the beauty. And I wish we had time, more time to maybe draw this out. But is it possible to do all the things that you don't associate with church for the glory of God? It used to be a big thing. What does the word worship mean? And how do you worship all the time? Because we say worship and we usually think about these people that are up here and just jamming doing awesome music. And that was what we call worship. We talk about worship pastors because they are the ones who lead in this time of music worship, praise back to God. But that word worship just means that idea of praise. That idea of seeing and submitting, understanding, beholding and responding. So if you worship here on Sunday morning, how do you worship throughout the week? Well, you see we said, whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's admirable, if anything is worthy, you have to think on these, right? That means that you have to do the hard work on a daily basis of saying, how am I going to eat this pizza for the glory of God? Well, can I tell you? And I spun on it for about half an hour yesterday because we made homemade pizzas. And it's about as good as you expect it to be. The pros are pros for a reason. But as we're making this pizza, a lengthy process, dough has to rise. I'm wondering, how do you eat a pizza to the glory of God? And there's a lot of ways, actually. First, you can just enjoy creation. That stuff like this happens and stuff like this works. That things like pizza exist and that it tastes so good. And that God made our creation, our, our life as creatures, replete with pleasures. Food could just be an injection of nutrients, but instead it's this incredible bouquet of flavors and smells that gives you this incredible, enjoyable experience. If you're doing it right, you can eat a pizza and you can enjoy God's simple goodness and thankfulness. You can also be thankful that we live in a culture that has so many cultures kind of sewn together. Why do we have access to pizza? Because some Italian once upon a time came to America or some America went to Italy and they learned about this process. And you can start to think about all the different ways in which God's given these cultures access to one another. You can follow the ladder of beauty or pleasure up and then you can start to look at the network of connections out and start remembering our duty to take the gospel to all people. Oh man, that's exciting. And it gets you kind of pumped. And you start thinking about the different possibilities, the different opportunities to help other people enjoy the kind of enjoyment that you're enjoying. Do you see how your mind is renewed? Your foundation becomes firm. Your pleasures become real. Romans 8, so same book that we've been reading. It says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Flesh is similar to, uh, to world. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the capital S, Spirit. 
The mind that's set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Don't you want that? (laughs) All right, if you're already a believer, it's going to be a daily pursuit. Do it. But if you're not a believer, don't you want that? I'm being totally upfront. I'm trying to hit you as hard as I can in the desires. Because if you'll start to think, you'll start to desire, you'll really start to pursue. Maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. I think it's true. I got all kinds of great arguments for it. But take your next step. Give it that much more investigation. Could this really be what you could build your whole life on and find life and peace? Let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you would, by your grace, give us the ability to start renewing our minds. It's going to be a process. It's going to be an effort. It's going to take time. And yet the fruit of that effort is worth it. We start to get what is good and acceptable the things that you've given us, because you're good. You're a God of pleasure. You're a God of all light. Every perfect gift comes down from above. Father, and so we just pray right now that you give us the grace to set ourselves to pursue you, to renew our minds so that there's some stability and we don't become people who crack. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.